everyone. Hey everyone, welcome. And today I'm talking with Walid, and you can find him on YouTube as Vidu Vids. And he makes a lot of videos, mainly satire and humor, uh, some serious topics as well. And he focuses mainly on Islam. Hey Walid, how's it going? Hi, Abed. I'm uh, doing very well. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thank you for coming on. So yeah, I mean, like I was saying before, you use a lot of humor. Um, and this is one thing I think I mentioned to you before. Uh, I'm going to embarrass my mother now. Um, she'd, <laughs> she'd mentioned Zakir Naik to me once because she started yeah. going down some stuff on YouTube. And I was like, oh my God, I think this guy's insane. And I started showing her some of his videos and she was like, oh, well, you know, and then I showed him one of yours. Uh, I showed my mom one of your videos, uh, like wow. when you imitate him. And she started laughing so much she wasn't able to take him seriously anymore. So you got wow. my mom, you got my mom off the Zakir Naik train. So thank you. <laughs> I, I'm honored. I'm honored. I'm honored. Truly. Uh, I mean, that's the whole point of the, of the whole humor. I mean, the part of the problem with the whole debate about Islam or religion in general is that where I mean, these guys take themselves so seriously, and we're actually feeding into their game by taking them seriously when they say really stupid things so just highlight what they say i mean when they say when they, when they say stupid stuff call them out on it and ridicule it because i do believe stupid ideas should be ridiculed so i'm honored oh no i mean i agree with you 100 it's because I, I i was doing that i was you know someone would say something sh i mean blatantly like blatantly stupid like there's no other way to describe it you know that uh yeah it's a young earth creationist, you know, the world is 6,000 years old. And it's like, and you're just trying to argue with them. And at, at certain points, it's, you know, if you believe in a talking snake, I don't know how far the argument's going to go. So yeah. I might as well just yeah. make fun of you. It's true. It's true. And to be honest with you, I think ridicule and humor mm. are one of the things they don't want us to do. If you look in Islam, and this is probably true of Christianity back in the days, uh, they did not look that uh, fondly to people who made fun of them. Uh, or who mocked certain uh, you know, ideas in Islam or Islam itself or the Prophet because they realized that it's a very powerful tool in sort of um, un unclothing them and making other people realize, by the way, what they're saying is kind of stupid. So they don't want us to make fun of them because they realize it's a very powerful tool against them. So make fun of them. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I like the way you do it because you'll mock what they say by taking it to its extreme end, right? Like you won't... Yes. And yeah. you know, so, you know, like, instead of just saying, oh, you're a dummy, you're an idiot, which doesn't really go too far, you, you know, you mock what they say. Like, it's like, I really like how you do that. I mean, where did you come up with the ideas for this anyways? Did you just decide that, you know, this needs to be done and no one was doing it or? Yeah, well, you know, um, what you're saying is actually so true. And it's, it's a very hard balance to do. It's one thing to mock someone. Like, if I woke up to you and said, I don't know, uh, ah, you smell. It's like, okay, that's like a child sort of like playground kind of insult. Like, ah, you smell, you're fat, you're ugly, nah, whatever. Or you've got, uh, whatever. I mean, that kind of stuff is really silly. And you can be like, okay, that's a stupid insult. But if I say something true about you, like, I don't know, I'm just making something up. I don't know if this is true or not, but let's say, I don't know, um, you uh, failed in one of your exams and you know you were you were saying i'm going to smash this exam i'm going to and then you failed in it and then i made fun of that well that's a bit more intelligent as opposed to something superficial so when you make fun of religion you actually have to know the religion you actually have to know what islam is about so when i see people just make fun of islam like ah oh, you're a terrorist ha 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 it's like okay um that's not that great of a sort of a joke because firstly my target audience are muslims I want Muslims to enjoy the joke. I want them to get it. And for them to get it, it has to be true. There has to be a kernel of truth. And of course, then, like you said, I take it to its extreme. I take it that one step further. Um, so then, for example, you hear the, you know, there's that video I made about um, beating your wife, you know, that you should beat your wife with love. Yeah. And, and I made the analogy of saying, you know, it's like, for example, if you get one of those old TVs and it's not working properly, what do you do? You just go up to it and tap it on the sort of, top of the TV, you, you hit the TV, and then it snaps back into action. Uh, that's my apologetics for beating your wife. You know, you know, you know, she, you know, alhamdulillah, she, you know, the woman, you know, she gets confused sometimes, you know, she isn't as logical as the man, and it's our job as men to make sure that, you know, things go well for them. So that's the kind of uh, apologetics that I sort of provide. But it's funny, but at the same time, my apologetics isn't that far off the explanation given by some sheikhs or some imams that's the sort of 
sort of sad part of it or whatever and obviously I take the mick out of it and then people realize actually this is this whole thing is kind of stupid um, so yeah so you're right you, you've got to sort of take take a kernel of truth and take it to its extreme or just take it that one step further just to uh, for, so people can realize and when you said to me how I came up with this I want to tell a story of um, uh, when I was in uh, sixth form and uh, I was in uh, a can I just put, interrupt you for sorry, a second go on. sorry sorry I don't know what sixth form is so Oh my god! Okay, so sixth form is basically you're in school from the ages of sixteen to eighteen. Okay, right. So I don't know what that the, the equivalent in America or Canada would is. It high school? I, high school, yeah. High school. So I was in high school, and I went in for like a Juma, like a Friday prayer, and one. Of, it was actually one of the students that was giving the sermon. It was the guy with the longest beard. That's how you decide <laughs> who gives the sermon. He had the longest beard, and his trousers were above the ankles. So that settles it. Um, but anyway. So he was talking about the Dajjal, the, the Antichrist. And he was, you know, in a very typical, uh, maybe in Arab as well, but a very South Asian, oh my God, this is going to happen on the end of days. And the, the Antichrist will come and the, he will kill the pigs and he will do this and he will, you know, this he's trying to scare people and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so at one point he was describing the uh, Dajjal. He would have one eye and he will um, be short and he will be very muscular. And someone actually from the audience shouted out, "Fitness first. You know, it's a it's a gym in uh, in the UK. So when he said he will be very muscular, it's like saying, uh, "Oh, well, will he go fitness first? And then at that moment, everyone started laughing in the uh, sermon. And then I realised, obviously, like when you, even the guy making the speech started laughing because he realised how silly it sounded when he oh he's been muscular and so the, the obvious question is, oh, does he work out? And that's why in one of my videos i made a joke about the antichrist saying you know he'll be muscular and when i say oh will he have a six-pack will you work out how much will you bench press all that kind of stuff so it's when you start getting down to the nitty-gritty when you start thinking about it rationally uh it was that moment that made me realize this there is you know islam is full of it's full of comedy gems you've you've just gotta you you just you just gotta be paying attention really yeah i mean there's there's so many little things like the and okay, a lot of religions have these little peculiarities, but I mean, just the, you know, step into the house with your right foot, you know, in every room in the house, you step in with your right foot first, except for the washroom, you got to use your left foot. I mean, like, that yeah. is such an OCD thing. It's like, you know, oh my God. And, it, it, and like you said, the terrorism is the low hanging fruit. And it's exactly, it's not, you know, there's only so much you can do with it, but all this other stuff you can make so much fun of. And sometimes they do it themselves. There was something put out by memory. And I know a lot of people have some issues with memory, but you know, from what I could see, their translations are pretty good. But it was a guy who had called up a sheikh because he'd spoken to his local imam about wanting to commit jihad, but he wanted to do it as secretly as possible. So he wanted to bring explosives jammed up his bum. And so the, so the sheikh on TV was telling him, that yes, okay, anal sex is prohibited, but because this is for jihad, this is the best thing you can do. It's totally wow. halal. And he even wow. suggested that the guy have have men, you know, like do him up the ass so he could make his asshole bigger and shove more explosives. And I mean, like, uh. I mean, you don't even need to make fun of that. You just need to put that out there because it's like, okay, That's where incredible. is the mentality of that coming from? And it's like I said, it's just you know, you, you, they make fun of them themselves um i wanted to actually touch on something you just brought up were you born in pakistan or in the uk or in india sorry where were you i was born in pakistan i came to the uk when i was one years old so virtually my whole life i've been living in the uk Uh, but i have been to pakistan many times since uh, i came to the uk for holidays and seeing family weddings you know everything as well so no the reason i brought that up is because okay i i'm similar boat i was born in india my family moved to canada when i was six so i was still also very young i mean you were a little bit younger um but I mean, I also have family from the Middle East, and I didn't notice it until the first time that I'd met my family from the Middle East. The, the family I have in India, and I, you know, I also have some in Pakistan. So the family from South Asia, when yeah. they read the Quran or when they say Mashallah or you know Bismillah or whatever, they put on this forced Arab-sounding accent, and then when I heard my Arab relatives recite the Quran or say their prayers or anything. I mean, it was, they were even looking at the, the Indian ones, like, what are you doing? Like, you sound like you're insane. <laughs> like, did you notice that? Or I mean, do you notice that? Like, it's, it's South Asia, like this love-hate relationship with the Arabs? 
Yes, they. I think in, in the, the the South Asian Muslims, um, especially, um, they have this weird relationship with Arabic and Arabs. Uh, it's like Arabic is this amazing language that is, you know, God spoke to us in this language, and Muhammad, Prophet, peace be upon him, or, you know, he spoke in this language, but they don't understand it, right? Very few people actually understand it. Of course, there's an overlap in, in like there's some Arabic words in Urdu and Hindi, but you know, they don't understand Arabic practically speaking anyway, so they don't understand it. So in, instead of actually learning it, they just sort of say it in a more sort of holy. Uh, fashion or they have respect for the Arabic language, which is a very strange thing because I don't, I, I don't, I don't know if, this is, if, if, if there's the equivalent in in Christianity. If if a, if an English speaking Christian were to come across Hebrew or Aramaic, would they then I don't, I don't know just treat that language differently? Or I, I don't know if, if if there is an uh, an equivalent for that. Well, I'm seeing it. Uh, one of my friends, um, and she's been very public about it basically since the end of 2016 um like just around christmas time she decided to convert to catholicism right and she was born into a greek orthodox home she became agnostic then i don't know for whatever reason she decided to become catholic and from her and other people that follow her and reply to her the love of latin that like they you know they're they're demanding the latin mass be brought back they want the latin i know it's not aramaic or hebrew obviously um, but they wanted that. And so, I mean, you had that in, you know, in Christianity, um, like Sir Thomas More, the, the patron saint of politicians, I believe. I mean, burnt people alive at this, you know, stake in London for owning a Bible in English, right? So, I mean, they, mm. they I mean, that was the ecclesiastic class keeping control and keeping power. I've just, I mean, the Arabic thing is, I don't know if it's, you know, Saudi Arabia wanting control or what it is, or it's, you know, because but, it's the most perfect language. I, I have no understanding. Yeah, uh, but the thing with, 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 with Latin, what I don't understand about Latin is that, I mean, the Bible wasn't even written, like the original language, or Jesus never spoke Latin as far as I'm aware. Um, so, but with Arabic, it's like this is the language spoken in heaven. This is the language that, you know, uh, all the prophets spoke of, like the first, whatever language. It's like the the, the best language, the best, the best. Uh, even Zach and I is like, you know, this is the best language. All the other languages are equal, but this is like above them. Um, so there is that weird sort of um, worship of this language when the vast majority of Muslims don't even speak Arabic. Uh, other than, you know, a few words here or there, alhamdulillah, mashallah, and, you know, memorizing a few of the verses. They don't really speak Arabic, but they're told it's the best language. And on top of that, it's like, you know, um, what do you want to call it? When they, oh, the, 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 the miracles of the Quran and the Arabic language. Well, how do you know? You don't speak it. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, and I, I've, pissed my family off a couple of times with this because, you know, just this uh, summer of last year, I was in India and uh, my in-law, I was with uh, my sister-in-law's family and they were, you know, we were discussing, everyone knows I'm I'm an atheist and I'm, I'm pretty open about it. And we were talking about stuff and they're like, oh, well, you know, you don't really speak Arabic, so how do you really know if you truly yeah. believe? Then I, I just turned around and looked at them and I've used it before. I said, well, you don't speak Arabic. So how are you truly a believer then? <laughs> you know, if I didn't know enough Arabic to to say I don't believe anymore, you certainly don't know enough Arabic to say you believe. Exactly. So I mean, I mean that 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 whole line of argument, you know, like oh, you don't understand enough because you don't speak Arabic. That means eighty percent of the Muslims in the world aren't true Muslims because they don't. Exactly. Speak Arabic. And this is this is an accusation that I uh, many Muslims receive. It's like, and not only with Arabic, but in general, you don't know, you never knew about Islam. Right, you did not know enough about Islam. Only if you had studied with this scholar in this school in X, Y, and Z, then you would be a true Muslim because then you would know Islam is amazing. All right, okay, f fantastic. My next question is I knew the same amount of knowledge as my family, if not more. Now, are you saying my family are not Muslims now? Because they, they had exactly the same knowledge I have. They came to a different conclusion, but they have exactly the same knowledge. In fact, my whole community have exactly the same knowledge. In fact, my whole town in Pakistan have. The, in fact, I can guarantee you. For most people of my background, Pakistani, British, I probably have 90% of the same beliefs and the same knowledge as they have. So if I'm not qualified enough to, to leave Islam, then they're not qualified enough to stay in Islam. Um, and this is, it's like they, they want to change the rules of the game. If you're, this is what I don't understand. If you're in Islam, if you don't know enough, stay Muslim, just to be sure. But if you leave, ah, oh, well, you don't have enough n knowledge to leave, brother. But like you said, if you don't have enough knowledge to leave, you don't have enough knowledge to stay. So, uh, 
there was one place, like I, I, I like we, we talked before. I, I travel a lot for work, and when I was in Bosnia, that's one thing I noticed. Um, a lot of the Muslims they were impressed by the fact that I could read Arabic because not all of them could. They'd learnt it phonetically and they'd learnt it <clears throat> by rote memorization, but they couldn't really read it. Yeah, and and this is by far not all of them, and even the ones that were grumbling about it. The, but there were grumblings about the fact that, you know, that they were forced to learn another language to practice their faith. And, it, mm. you know, it's the only place I've seen this. Like, I didn't I didn't see it in Turkey. I didn't see it in Malaysia. Uh, certainly not in India or Pakistan whenever I've been there. But in Bosnia, there was grumblings among the Muslims. Like, why? Why? You know? Mm. And, I mean, I the Muslims I met in Bosnia, for the most part, you know, about the only thing they stuck to was don't eat the pork. I mean, they, right. you know, everything else they broke. And that's, I mean, that's par for the course for a lot of Muslims that I know in, you know, in Montreal and stuff. They don't pray. They don't do anything. They go out and club and do whatever. But, oh, no, I can't have the pork. And it's exactly it, it's it's so weird. Like, that's the one thing they'll, they'll stop. Yeah, on, right? exactly. It's, it's, it's the kryptonite. I, I don't know why that is the way it is. I, I think there's been a lot of propaganda always. The dirty and the pig eats the, their own. Uh, feces or whatever it is and that's why I mean ugh. but I mean sleeping around alcohol weed other mm. kind of drugs no problem um, but uh, you know what you, you do raise a, a very interesting point about the um, Muslim Bosnians about you why do I have to learn another language to practice my faith and this is a, a point that I um, have spoken about or thought about at least a lot if Islam is a universal religion and this is the last time God spoke to humanity. Surely, surely, God would have taken this into consideration that, yes, I'm speaking in Arabic, but the vast majority of Muslims would not be Arab. Obviously, he knows this because he can, you know, he knows the future. And he knows that there's a lot of problems in translations, a lot of problems with, you know, even Arabic has changed somewhat, right? I mean, you have modern Arabic and then you have classical Arabic. Surely, you're going to write the book in a way where it's easily translatable and where you don't have to learn a new language from, squat, uh, from scratch just to practice Islam or just to know the true Islam. These, are, I mean, if I was like the head of a company and I wrote a manual for my company, but I've got a branch in Japan, a branch in you know, Sweden, a branch in wherever, but I said, no, no, for you to understand this manual, you have to learn English, otherwise you can't work in the company. But you're crazy. They have to be easily translatable to other languages. And if it's not, then you're not doing a good job in writing the manual in the first place. So I think they're 100% right. Why do you have to learn a new language just to practice your religion? Yeah, and uh, I mean, I'm just going to digress a little bit. The, the manual thing, I agree with you and I agree with all that ex with one caveat. I work in IT. IT people yeah. can't write, myself included. So if you have an IT manual in English and you try to translate that, oh boy, do you get horrible translations because the English, oh, yeah. English is <clears throat> the English is so mangled. And I mean, maybe that's what it was with the Arabic. I mean, that's that's, well, that's, that's the thing too, right? There's what. That, yeah, but that's a good point. But then you are you have you have human imitations. Yeah, God. Does but God it. doesn't. Yeah, he's not like, supposed exactly. to. Anything. So exactly. But even even then, the the head of a company would get a bit of stick. Like, come on, man, make make it easy to like put some diagrams in there for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Put some. You know what I'm saying? Put some diagrams. Put some YouTube videos, or have a, another manual written by Japanese people uh, in a way that they understand it. It doesn't have to be like you know copy for copy, like you know word for word. It can be different, you know. But this is these are these are considerations. Obviously, God has not taken, uh, you know, these are, these are these are these are these are things that God has not taken into consideration because obviously it's not a God; it's a man-made thing. And now we have to. Oh, but brother, the Arabic is amazing. Yeah, but I mean, okay, again, a little digression. It would be a little scary to have a picture book of the Quran. I don't know if that would be that family friendly. Be jokes. That, imagine like a manual on how to like chop the hand. <coughs> oh God. Slice here. You yeah. Know, uh, whatever. Or how to beat the wife. They've got a, like a picture of a miswak or a toothbrush. You know. Yeah. Uh, hit three times. Make sure uh, that that would be. You know that would clear up a lot of things. Because <laughs> those guys walking around with cricket bats and whips, they'd be like, oh crap. You know, uh, I can't use this because in the manual it says you know yeah. can't be more more than thirty centimeters long. Um, th that would wouldn't be such a bad idea, actually. Uh, yeah, no, but um, sorry, uh, yeah, like we're like we're saying like the the Arabic and all that. But um, I one thing like I sorry, I'm, I'm just uh, just got a little off a little topic. But like I was trying to get at one thing too. It's you know people talk about 
you know, and it's it's coming up a lot now, like over, well, you know, the, because the, the the whole colonization by the Arabs. Yeah. But I mean, what a lot of people don't realize too is that Arabs were also colonized by Islam. I mean, it was mm. basic. It's it's it was the Quraysh, right? It was that yep. tribe that went out. I mean, it's there was differences in Yemen or what became Yemen as opposed to what is Saudi Arabia. I mean, obviously there's a lot of similarities, but there were differences, local cultures, local customs. And, you know, yes, the Arabs spread out and, you know, took uh, wiped out cultures in North Africa, wiped out cultures in sub-Saharan Africa, you know, Iran, Zoroastrians were basically completely gone and like, you know, going, um, going East from there. But they also did wipe out local Arab cultures. And there's a lot of, oh, well, you know, equating Arab with Muslim, yeah. which I mean, I understand because, you know, the majority of those countries now are Muslim. I mean, there are some that are like 98, 99, 100% Muslim, right? But, yeah, you know, the, the talk about, and I, I see it a lot from um, South Asians and I understand and I, I, I get it. I mean, you know, originally I'm from there and I do have roots back in Yemen as well, but this just, you've become an ex-Muslim, now you're going to attack Arabs as well as Islam. And I just find that, I find that a wrong way to go about it, and it's also like yeah. over generalization, you know, over generalization, and it's mm. also not accounting for the fact that Arabs they they themselves have lost culture to Islam. Yeah, they themselves are just as much victims um, as uh, South Asians or Africans or Iranians. I mean, like for example, the German people were also victims of Nazism, the same way the Polish were. I, I mean, the people that were. I mean, had to serve or were killed or were forced into, you know, doing things for the government. They are just as much victims as um, as people who are on the receiving end of a Nazi attack. So, no, you're, you're absolutely right. We shouldn't just be saying, well, you know, all the non-Arab Muslims, only they are true victims and the Arabs are, by definition, the aggressors, all of them. No, no, I, I, think, I think that's the wrong way of looking about it. Um, but it's, it's very important to have nuance in this conversation because there are many... Arab ex-Muslims or Arab agnostics, Arab free thinkers, who recognise this and uh, are speaking about it, and we should, you know, we're on the same team here. So yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that it gets me a little depressed. I'm, I'm obviously I'm I'm active <clears throat> a little bit and I speak out a little bit, but it's just like, you know, you, you I mean, takfir. So telling someone how to be a better Muslim, right? Yeah. And I see that sometimes it's like an ex-Muslim takfir, like, oh, you're not being a proper ex-Muslim. It's like what? Yeah. You know, what's that supposed to mean? I mean, exactly. You know, like I had enough of that and I, okay, obviously <clears throat> I, I didn't, my family was very moderate, very liberal, um, you know, open and all that. So I didn't have, a, there wasn't a lot of that, like the takfir stuff, like you're not being a proper Muslim, this and that, but, you know, but I don't want that now. Like, I don't want to be told how to be an atheist. Like I'd rather, honestly, I would be much more comfortable with someone who was moderately religious but wanted sector values and wanted to allow everyone to practice their faith and whatever then someone who was very militantly atheist who says no we should ban all churches ban all. I mean, okay, and I'm, yeah this is obviously an extreme and I, I don't hear very many people saying that but you know like i said i I'd, i want to promote certain values and i want to promote secularism do i exactly. wish that, do i wish that all religion was gone yes am i going to mm. force people to stop practicing their faith no yeah, you know, so I mean, like I, I you know, gotta try to find a happy balance somewhere. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you're you're 100 right. We shouldn't adopt the very characteristics that we ran away from or didn't like from the religion that we left. So this sort of puritanism, like, oh, if you don't do things the way I do them, or if you don't see the see things the way I see them, then you're not really a Muslim or not really an ex-Muslim, not really an X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. Um, that kind of, I mean, puritanism or that sort of. Uh, that sort of test like oh if you don't do things exactly the way i see it then you're you're at the club you know or you're a fake um that we don't need because as ex-muslims we get you know so, you know you know when i make videos that aren't necessarily bashing muslims i get accused by some people who are either atheist or far right or whatever you're not a real ex-muslim you're doing the key but when i make a video criticizing islam uh, oh you're jewish you're this you're that uh, hindu shia whatever you are um so it, you know it, it just comes with the territory unfortunately people aren't always going to be happy with what you have to say so i as long as i can go to sleep at night with a clean conscience i don't really care honestly i, I don't really care because people always have opinions you know yeah okay uh you mentioned something there and 
talked about, like I, I touched it briefly earlier uh, before we start recording, Takia. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about you. Um, I, okay, my family, you know, my you know, my dad gave his zakat. They were devout. They prayed until the first intifada into Lebanon, right? Like, so the early 80s. Yeah. And then there was like a lot of suicide bombings and you know, car bombings from Shias. I had never heard the term Shia. It was, I, for me, it was always Muslim. I didn't know there was a difference between Sunni and Shia until that point, yep. right? Yeah. And I hadn't heard the term Takiya until uh, about 2014 or 2015. I'd never heard that term. Same. And Same. all of a sudden now, it's like if you say something, like if I'm supporting the uh, the Uyghur Muslims for what's happening in China, mm. I, get, I get, like you said, you know, I get accused of Takiya, like I'm a self-jihadi or something. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, do you want to try to explain the key a little bit or you know, like, or what you know yeah, so I, yeah I actually made a video on this uh, on Takiya because like you like yourself I had never even heard of this idea of Takiya in my, in my life only up until like maybe it was 2014 2015 um, I heard this and I was like what and it was actually unfortunately by an ex-Muslim it was on one of our uh, one of these uh, sort of TV programs in the UK like Sunday morning sort of debate whatever it is and uh, some ex-Muslim, she's making some good points, but then she goes, "Oh, that guy who was who was a Muslim, he's lying because he's doing takia, and this is what they this is what they're taught." And the guy himself was Sunni, uh, and I was like, "What the hell is takia?" So anyway, takia, uh, I mean, has many different uh, meanings, uh, some positive, some negative, but it basically means to conceal or to hide, and um, it was used predominantly by Shias because they were persecuted by the Sunni majority, so they used to hide the fact that they were Shia. Um, so they were doing Takiyah, because if they revealed that I am Shia, they might get killed or persecuted or whatever it was. So they said, no, I'm Sunni or I'm Christian or I'm whatever. But that has taken a completely different and new meaning in the... I, I, I don't know since when, but it's now like, oh, if you see a Muslim saying something reasonable, uh, they're lying, they're covering up their true beliefs, which are much more extreme or violent, and they are practicing Takiyah. Um, so, again, this is the vast, I can guarantee you the vast majority of Muslims don't even know what the word means. Uh, and even if they do, they don't do it. If you're saying some Muslims lie, yes, some Muslims do lie. But some Christians, atheists, yeah. whatever, Hindus lie. I mean, if you're saying you know, lying is not something which Muslims have a monopoly over, uh, you know. So everyone can, even in the video I made which was, uh, about the key, I said, you know, if, if, a, if a guy says, I love you to a girl, Sleeps with her, then leaves her. Takia. If someone, you know, if a government says this weapons of mass destruction, and then finally Takia. I, I mean, you can apply that if, you, if you're going to say someone's lying, then you can apply that to anyone and anything, really. Um, but I mean, unfortunately, there is probably a, a, a minute uh, section of Muslims who may do this, and I suspect that they are probably more in the dawah scene, the the political scene, than the average Muslim. I don't think the average Muslim cares about this kind of stuff or does this kind of stuff. Maybe some do, but they I, I'm guessing they would be part of some sort of organization or whatever. Um, but I have no proof for that or whatever it is, so that could be completely wrong also. But there you go. No, but, uh, and you brought up a good point there. There's, you know, and, and I, I've said this, you know, if something happens, uh, not even just a terrorist attack, like what happened with that uh, young girl recently who was stuck in Thailand, Rahaf, right? Mm. You know, luckily she's in Canada. Now, there were Muslims speaking out on her behalf as well. There yep. were Muslims countering the death threats she was receiving in Saudi. And, you know, a lot of time, you know, and I, like I said, I, I'm guilty of this as well. Like, where are the moderate Muslims? Why aren't they speaking out? But maybe some of them, because when they did try to say, okay, you know, this is wrong, but the way I see my faith this is completely wrong and whatever. And they were accused of something like the key or, you know, apologism or whatever, like someone who's believed in Islam their whole life. And, you know, up until nine 11, there wasn't a lot of the, I mean, there were terrorists, but there wasn't as many terrorist attacks as there are now in the West. Yeah. It, it hadn't, you know, it really started wrapping up after nine 11 more than anything else. So, you know, maybe when they did start wrestling with their faith and they were trying to make accommodations for themselves, how they can still practice it. But, you know, leave aside the, the, the horrific stuff and then they get accused of something like the Kia. So, you know, if those of us who are saying, okay, well, you know, it should, it should be moderate Muslims coming out and speaking out, you know, mm. it sh or, you know, 
obviously you want the leadership to speak out as well, but you know, maybe we should stop accusing everyone of the key and things like that. Maybe we, you know, because you are feeding and it, it, obviously that's not coming from, and I hate using the terms the left side of the spectrum. It's coming more from the far right of the side of the spectrum. Yeah, definitely. You know, definitely. But that again is because there's a vacuum of people who are talking about it. I mean, it's, it's really good that, you know, you're speaking out. There's a far more ex-Muslim speaking out now, you know, and it's just saying the hell with whatever, whoever says we're going to say our story and we're not going to be, used one way or the other by anyone else right but absolutely you know, i mean it, uh yes yeah, gone. yeah no i was just saying it's, it's a good thing like we're starting to speak out maybe we can get more i know you've spoken with muslims and i know uh a few other people who you know who've had sh you know, muslims on their shows and things like that so maybe that's that's a you know a better way of doing it and instead of waiting for the media to say okay well why don't we have on moderate muslims maybe you know, ex-Muslims ourselves should have on moderate Muslims or... Oh, absolutely. And, and and speak to them and see how they reconcile their faith or how they practice their faith with, you know, some of the more pernicious stuff in the Quran. 100%. I think that's a fantastic point you just made there. And because I, I have seen some uh, anti-Muslim or anti-Islam speakers, uh, Bill Warner, he, I couldn't believe it. He, if you see a Muslim say something reasonable, guess what? He's doing taqiyya. If you if you hear them say something you know, you know terrible, that's their true belief. You've set up a lose lose situation for Muslims. If a Muslim says, you know what, I actually do think secularism is the way forward. I'm not really comfortable with, with the Islamic State. Uh, oh, he's he's obviously lying, or she's obviously lying. Why? You know, because in their books it says X, Y, and Z. But you know. <laughs> you're not giving agency to the human being then you're not you're you've, you're saying that by default they are liars and you set up a lose-lose situation if they say something good they're lying if they say something bad uh, then they tell the truth so you're absolutely right and and, and with regards to uh, speaking to moderate muslims i have on uh, i've spoken to sheikh osama hassan from the uk i've spoken to sheikh shabir ali from canada sheikh atabek uh from the uk also and these guys I've asked them questions about science, about miracles, about Islamic State, about the concept of an Islamic State. Um, and they have been very open. They have been very honest. They have not tried to hide or water down their beliefs with me. And I thoroughly enjoyed speaking to these sheikhs. People say, oh, why don't you speak to Muslims? I do speak to Muslims. And I, have, I think each one's conversation was at least 40 minutes or an hour long, or maybe, maybe even longer. And... Um, the great things about these people, these sheikhs, was that they never said to me, me beforehand, "I have to see the questions you're going to ask me. You can't ask me this. You can't ask me that. I'm only going to speak." Up. They honestly just came to my house, or I went to their house, wherever it was, and said, "Let's go." There was no trying to hide something. There was no trying to manipulate or have an agenda, and um, I. That's fantastic. I mean, these people, as far as I'm aware, are. Uh, people we're on the same page from a practical point, uh, point of view. Maybe, maybe not theologically, but they—I'm guessing—they want the same kind of country to live in that we want. They are happy with what we have, as far as I can tell. Sheikh Atabek basically said the idea of an Islamic state is based upon a few hadiths, which are made up, and a lot of these stories are fairy tales. He said it very openly. This whole Islamic state, brother, we need a Sharia. This fairy tales. Now, other Muslims will disagree. Other ex-Muslims will disagree. He's saying it. That's his opinion. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, okay. Now, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I've seen the the conversations you're talking about. And you're right. These guys are very open. That's what I'm saying. Maybe, you know, ex-Muslims should drive this or whatever, right? Or moderate Muslims should come seek out other people to speak to and just forget what the media is doing. But, um, like, when you were talking about that, like, the... The, the the caliphate and you know like how he was saying the hadith aren't true and all that okay here's a really crazy idea and it's gonna, maybe it's going to sound a little bit silly but like Go you, you hear all these people who say okay islam is you know the first feminist religion all this right i mean yeah and it, i mean you could point out how you know patently false that is yeah but now when they say okay then then you're like okay fine just grant them that for a moment hypothetically and say okay well, you say you want to follow the, the the example of Muhammad, right? He was a perfect human being. And again, plenty of things wrong with that. But then you say, okay, fine. So if Muhammad made things better for people when he came around at that time and he saw, okay, that instead of killing off everyone, like, you know, if you have a battle and you capture some people, killing them all off, maybe in that sense, 
slavery is a step up because at least you're keeping them alive, right? right. Or, you know, gave women rights to property and gave women whatever rights that he apparently did. So if you say, okay, well, if that's what Muhammad did and you're supposed to follow his example, shouldn't you then want to make your society better than what it is now? Like, shouldn't mm-hmm. that be the example you follow, not the example of the things he did, but, you know, the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law type of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like I said, this is, you know, this is a little bit far out and it's a little bit crazy. Like, you know, you're asking to accept some things that you believe are wrong. But like I said, I mean, if you're talking to someone like that, wouldn't that be a better way to go around it instead of just telling them they're wrong and trying to like, you know, maybe just get them to think about it in a slightly different way? Yeah, uh, that's a very good point, actually, because when I was speaking to Sheikh Atabek, uh, the, the subject of lashing came up. So if uh, I think it was for if someone uh, did adultery or whatever it was, lashing. So I said, would you still have lashing now? And he said, the purpose of lashing is not the actual administering of lashing. If you can achieve that thing without doing lashing, then do that thing. So although he hasn't said lashing is wrong or haram, he's saying the point of it was to stop. Obviously, I'm not agreeing with it 100%, but he said it's, a, it's, it's one way of stopping something. He said if you can stop someone from doing something by just uh, holding their ear, like, you know, just uh, sort of like do that instead of lashing. So there are some people who, under, like you said, understand the spirit as opposed to the letter and say, well, the objective of, you know, such and such punishment or this such law is to stop this thing from happening so if we can achieve that by other means go for it but some people obviously the more sort of hardline textualist or the uh, will say no no we have to do we have to, the, the lashing is not negotiable or the hand traffic is non-negotiable so mm-hmm. yeah you you do have a wide spectrum of beliefs but i want to highlight the other side of the spectrum which is we don't have to lash if you don't want to yeah it's fine i mean it's it's so, you know trying to find something that they can use along the lines of what you have in Christianity, which was, you know, let he who is without sin cast the first stone, right? I mean, th- yeah, yeah. that is one of the things in Christianity that stops Christians for the most part. I mean, you can point out the extremes in places like Uganda that, you know, from filling out the the prescriptions in the Old Testament, right? So they have yeah. that, like Jesus never said that he took away the laws, but he put that little restriction in. So, I mean, yeah, like, I think we should do that. Like, not only just for ourselves or you know whatever but more for muslims in you know some in the west as well but mainly in muslim majority countries who might not have ever heard this other way of thinking right they might have just heard a very strict interpretation and that's another thing like did you when did you start hearing about the different schools of thought like the hanafi the maliki the shafi you know like like all this stuff like i i that was never talked about no, it wasn't. No, I mean you're absolutely right. I mean I probably learned this in uh, when I was from 13 to 16. I went to a Muslim boys' school uh, for, for for three years, uh, and this is where I was. What's a Hanafi? What's a Shafi? What's a Maliki? All this kind of stuff. Obviously, when you're growing up in a Pakistani household, Islam is just what you see around your you know your mom, your dad, your yeah. uncle. You don't care about Hanafi, Shafi, whatever it is. Um, but I, I became more aware of that later on. Um, sort of 13, 16, and obviously after that I learned about him more. But just just to finish up on a point you said about, you know, there are, uh, the on the previous point you made, there are some, there are many Muslims, I won't say some, many Muslims out there who are looking for an out. They are stuck, like, let, I'll give the example of Aisha being nine. This troubles a lot of Muslims, right? Now, I had a Muslim friend and me and him used to discuss, oh, she was nine, no, no, she... And he was stuck with the fact that he was nine, and he was really trying hard to to justify that, she, you know, it's okay for her to be nine and the prophet sleeping with her. He came across some other sheikh who said she wasn't actually nine, this is a false hadith, X, Y, and Z explanation. She was actually 19. Guess what? He believed that explanation instead of the other one. He was looking for an out. Because he didn't want to believe in it. He wasn't comfortable with the fact that his prophet did that. And the same way with lashing, the same way with other things, Muslims are looking for a way out. So me as an ex-Muslim, I'm, if, if I can uh, interview a sheikh who is a literal sheikh, like he's qualified and he's saying things that are reasonable, and some Muslim who believes with la- uh, believed in lashing, hand chopping, X, Y, and Z beforehand, has a different opinion after that conversation, fantastic. That's that For me, that's great. Um... So yeah, I mean, th- these are real life examples where uh, uh, 
people Muslims can change their mind uh, if you pre- if you present them a sheikh that's actually reasonable and somewhere down the middle of the road but um, and the sheikh that I actually interviewed he he called himself a Hanafi Quranist uh, which basically means that you know the again I obviously obviously have problems with the Quran itself but he said the vast majority of the problems that you will find in the Muslim world when it comes to the most violent or barbaric practices uh, come from the Hadith. Most of the confusion comes from the Hadith. And he has a sort of like, we have to tear the whole thing down and start from the foundation. Um, which is which is great as, as far as I'm concerned because that's what Islam needs right now. You need to bring it back to basics. Of course, there'll still be problems. But hey, if you want to tear it down, in in that process of tearing it down, you might actually might build something just slightly better than what you have right now. So, yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's it's right. I mean, okay, and getting back to the Aisha thing, right? And again, it's something I'm very guilty of, and I regret whatever part I played in this. Um, and it's not like I'm a hugely influential person that I would have you know changed a lot of minds. But okay, yes, you know, if, if you, let's take the Hadith as they are, not looking for something else. The, the, the majority view is that he married her when she was six and consummated the marriage when she was nine, right? And you know, that was because, okay, well, people were marrying young back then, all those things. And, okay, I'm not disputing that you know, girls as young as 12, nine just seems a little too young to me, but whatever. There were young girls being married off, but, I mean, again, the age discrepancy. But if you want to just take that one little fact, okay, what he was doing back then was par for the course of what was going on back then, right? Like the, you know, Muhammad had sex slaves. Other people had sex slaves. Muhammad was a warlord. There was, you know, he's surrounded by warlords. I'm not, yeah. I'm not defending him or I'm not attacking him for it. But if you want to bring that context in, then bring it in and say, okay, fine, that was acceptable back then. It is no longer acceptable now. You know, if you want to say, well, it was acceptable back then, but then we want to act just like him, then obviously you're saying it's acceptable now. Like, I mean, the, Perfect cases are on. You know, yeah. it's they have oh, because the Prophet married Aisha when she was nine, nine is the legal marrying age, right? Or the legal mm. age for consummation, because the Quran has a way for you to divorce a woman who is who is younger than the age of menstruation, so you haven't had sex with her. There's a they tell you how to divorce her, right? So it is in there. But mm. you know, if you say, Okay, fine, that was the norm then, but we don't do this now and we're gonna raise our age you know, even if you raise it to 16 instead of 18 or something, right? Like it's 16 is better than nine. Let's just put it that way. You know, like it's still yeah, wrong, yeah. but it's better than nine. I mean, it's, and and this is going to sound like a lot of whataboutism. Um, and I, like all these things should be called out. Like when Pakistan tried to raise it and raise the age to 18, the population themselves went crazy and they, they said, okay, they settled at 16. Uh, if you want to argue about these things, here in the West, we got to look at what our laws are and why they aren't being changed. Uh, in, yeah. ca- in Canada, there are some restrictions in some provinces. I believe Quebec, you can have parental consent at 16. Um, but I mean, there's there's states. There's only there are only two states in the United States that have laws where you cannot marry before 18, which you know, like the legal age of adulthood. Uh, and so, like, th- there's laws that are there, and they keep. They keep staying up. They keep being challenged. They keep winning the challenges because of religious freedom. So, yes, it's right to call out all these other countries. And I'm right there with you. But we should fix our stuff as well. And, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but I'll, I'll stop after this. Like, I, fine, yeah. uh, when the, after Merkel made all our decisions, you know, like the EU and all those refugees started coming in, there's so many cases in, uh, well, I shouldn't say so many. I, I read about between five and ten cases in uh, the Scandinavian countries and in Holland where people were coming in, um, you know, so 25 to 30 year old guy with a 12 to 15 year old girl, uh, you know, they've already got one kid or two kids or there's a kid on the way and they're letting them in. Now, I believe it was Denmark or Norway that said, you know, we're going to ban child brides. And so what are you doing now? You didn't talk about it before because it was racist to bring it up because, you know, how can we insult their culture? Exactly. Now you're saying you're going to, banish abolish child bride so what then you, you know what if these girls haven't learned how to reading you know dutch or danish or norwegian or whatever whatever language of the country they're living in or speaking yeah. they have no education so you have a whole slew of teen brides that are now or teen mothers they're gonna have to be looked after the state because you were too afraid to talk about this stuff before 
and you didn't want to deal with the laws in your own country. Like, I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, I, again, this is about how we talk about things. And I'm not saying be what about, oh, well, if they do it in the West so they can do it in the East. I'm saying, no, this is wrong. Let's fight it everywhere, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, no, absolutely. I, I think it's a very important point. I mean, we should be highlighting the... If we find something wrong within the Muslim world or the, the uh, Eastern world and we also find it in the West, we should have no hesitation in calling out both sides and be like, guys, you need to fix up. Uh, it's wrong there and it's wrong here. And, uh, I mean, you just touched upon it, but the whole uh, refugee or migrant cr- the migrant crisis uh, that's happening in Europe is, uh, well, I mean, we'll have to wait maybe, I mean, I know there's been problems already, but for, from a demographic point of view, they're going to be, I think, probably huge problems in the next 10 to 15, 20 years. Uh, we don't know the full extent to um, of the change that's really going to happen um, in those countries and what Europe will look like in, in that time. So, I don't know, it's, it's a tough one. It really is a tough one because people, oh, you're being racist, and you're being this, you're being that. But I always say, would you want to live in that neighborhood where those migrants are? Just be honest. Like, you know they've got problems. I don't even, I'm not even blaming them for all their problems. I'm not, I'm not, a lot of these guys are victims themselves. But if you, would you want to live in that neighborhood? I, I was having this conversation with, with my dad. I said, would, would you want to live in that area? You work so hard your, your whole life to have a good job, to earn money, to live in a nice area, to buy a house, to get a car. Would you want those guys living next door to you? And of course, obviously, it's a no. So if it's not good enough for you, why is it good enough for them? You know? And okay, let's... Good point, because I, br- I brought this up. There was a case in Canada last year. Uh, it had finally, the guy had finally gone to trial. And uh, what, it, what had happened was it was a Syrian refugee that came in. After three months, he was granted permanent residency, which shouldn't happen. I mean, that's that in itself is wrong. But let's not go into that. But uh, he killed, okay, he was, there was a young girl killed. He He's, a, he's accused and he's on trial for killing this girl and left her body for dead in a park, uh, just in a suburb of Vancouver. Now, I served with the military. I saw some... I I was a civilian working with the military. I shouldn't say I served with the military. And I saw some sick stuff, but nowhere near what a soldier would have seen. And I'm just imagining this guy living in Syria, and who knows what he saw? Who knows what he went through? Now, I'm not... I don't don't know anything about this case beyond what I've told you. Like, I don't know all the details. I... You know, it's... um, There's just too much rhetoric on all sides. And... But... What our government did that was such a disservice to him and to a lot of other refugees is, oh, you're a refugee, welcome to Canada, here you go, go live in this apartment. Yeah. Now, these, okay, yo, this guy could have PTSD. Maybe he saw that little girl walking down the street and saw thought it was his daughter, his sister, whatever, like some child from his village and thought he was protecting her and it ended up killing her because he was in a fugue state or something like that, right? Or maybe yeah. he was just some sicko. You don't know, but if you're bringing in all these refugees, it's great to bring them in. It's laudable, but just to leave them there and not provide yeah. any kind of services, any kind of counseling. Uh, I mean, there's refugees. There, there, there's reports coming out, oh, but refugee communities living in parts of Canada and they haven't seen a translator in over a year. Unbelievable. I mean, uh, like, <clears throat> what is that doing for them? It's doing nothing. It's and it's alienating them from the the population. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, there was also a big thing in Canada recently last year. In about six months, 30,000 mainly Haitians came in from the United States to Quebec and Ontario because of Trump threatening to deport them, right? Mm. So they, and the Canadian government welcomed them in. Again, what are you doing for these people? Are you giving them, you know, are you just housing them and say, just sit here? Mm. Wouldn't it be better to bring in, let's say, 15,000 instead of 30? Take proper care of that 15,000, right? Like the, you know, and make them viable members of society so they start earning, paying taxes, contributing society, and then let in more. Instead of just letting in 30,000 saying, what do we do now? And have no plan. Like, you know, like all these yeah. topics are so insane now. Like if you, you know, if you mention something like that about immigration, almost all of a sudden you're a racist because you, you want to keep people out. You want to build the wall. It's like, no, I, I want to help people. But, you know, there is a way to help them. There's a way to just screw everything up unbelievably bad yeah it's very easy uh, with the uh, sort of uh, appearance of helping someone it's very easy to mess things up worse than they were before Um, if you do not have a proper system of managing people where they go how they go who they interact with 
you will, you will end up shifting the problem from one place to another and creating a different animal which you had no idea um, could, could ex- even exist. And this is, you know, and we have to talk about these things openly without the fear of being, oh, you're a racist, you're a sellout, you're an X, Y, and Z. Um, unfortunately, you know, it has come from the left. They don't see any problem with any immigration anywhere at any time in any number. Of course, that's an extreme example, but there are a section of them which is like, no, open borders, everything's got to be, you know, human love, free, all that kind of stuff, hippie dippy. Um, and I'm sorry, but that kind of mentality is not grounded in reality. Um, and that ends up causing more problems than it ends up, than it actually solves. Yeah. So it's, I, I don't know, I mean, if you're saying it's bad in Canada or in America, I mean, I don't know how bad it's going to be in like Sweden or Germany or whatever it is where they've, I think Germany, what, took like 200,000 or something similar like that? And oh, no, even some, she was taking, I think in 2015, 2016, she took in, or 2000, yeah, 2015, 2016, she was taking in 800,000 a year. That's insane. What? Yeah. There, there was there were stats that came out that they were taking in roughly, um, you know, ten percent of their population. I think the population of Germany was ten million or so, roughly around there. But yeah, she took in about eight hundred thousand a year in those two years. Like that's insanity. Oh my god. No, I mean, well, it's, like, what? How do you deal with that? Like, and it's, and you know, you shouldn't straight out call people racist. You, you even if you took that many Polish people who yeah. are ethnically, uh, linguistically, or whatever you want to call it similar to them, it would still be a big problem. It would still be, a, you know, a, a big uh, sort of task to manage, you know. And it's, I mean, okay, don't get me wrong here. It's the whole point of being a refugee. And I, I mean, I, I know there's been plenty of refugee crises, like, you know, over the years, people have come in and they stayed permanently. Call that asylum. But if you truly say, okay, these are refugees because there's a war in their country, and I'm, I'm not saying there's a solution to what's going on in like Syria and Iraq and Libya anytime soon. But, you know, you should make, we should help to make, and when I say help, you know, people say, oh, you stop intervening, but there should be help to make those countries viable so that these people want to return, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying don't welcome people, don't, you know, if they want to stay, they built families, they built businesses, obviously they're contributing, so let them stay. But, you know, living in 10 cities for, years on end or now in Toronto they've got two hotels that are completely full um, because of refugees and also because of the, the homeless in the city like I don't know what percentage is refugees and what percentage is, is, are, is homeless but that's what those hotels are like they, they, they have and the city of Toronto is paying for that like how long do you want to do that for yeah you know like yeah. The, 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 these are stopgap measures these are not you know, this is nothing sustainable. You can't keep doing this. Mm. You know, oh look, we're so wealthy here, and we are. We're very lucky to live in. You know, you in the UK, myself in Canada, we are extremely lucky to live in these places. But you can't sustain bringing in, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people in every year without a plan, and I don't seem to see one. Uh, just to finish off on that point, or just to add something to that point. In a, diff- in a different, from from a different angle, um, Pakistan has is planning to build, I think, a wall or some sort of a barrier with the with the border in Afghanistan because a lot of crime, a lot of terrorism, a lot of all sorts of things happens on that border, and a, a lot of, and and a lot of refugees come across that border as well. And my father was saying, you know, these Afghan men, like, they're causing a lot of problems, and they, you know. Yes, they're refugees, but at the end of the day, we can't manage and this and that, and we should stop them from coming over. And at the same time, saying it's okay for migrants or refugees to come to Europe, and that it's wrong to build walls in America, you know, with uh, Mexico. I'm like, why is it okay there, not okay here? So uh, I, I, I find that attitude very uh, annoying because, like, if you can recognize the good of building a wall in Pakistan with the Afghan border, why can't you recognize the idea of controlling refugees or building some sort of barrier or wall or whatever it is managing your you know, just simply controlling who comes in the country why is that such a controversial idea yeah I, I don't get that and i mean okay canada our prime minister and this was near the end of last year uh he was doing some town hall meetings and it was close to montreal and a woman asked him which was you know older woman i think probably in her 60s or so said that who's paying for these thirty thousand people that have come have come over and this was on national television our prime minister on national television called her a racist for asking that, for asking that question. 
Now, there you go. I mean, our the leader of the country shouldn't be calling people racist on no. national television unless they're actually you know, you know legit, yeah, <laughs> you know, burning burning crosses and whatever, right? Like, unless they're actual legit white supremacists. But yeah, you know that that's a very reasonable question to ask, and it's 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 just crazy. I'm sorry, I'm just going to jump a little bit here. Something you talked about before, you know, like the people, the free thinkers in in yeah. Islamic countries and all that. Um, and I, I keep promoting this because it's one of the best ideas I've ever heard. A couple of friends of mine started this up. Uh, you probably at least have heard of them, if not know them. Uh, Faisal Al-Matar and Melissa yep. Chen. So they started up this organization, Ideas Beyond Borders. And it is one of the best things I have ever heard of. So what they're doing is they're translating science and philosophy books into Arabic, putting them on an online library available to people in the Middle East. World, Amazing. Global, globally, anyways. And now they've also started with uh, Wikipedia articles. Mm. Um, and they, I mean, they're, they're doing, you know, they go, they refer back to that, uh, UN, uh, survey from 2006 where they said, you know, more books have been translated into Spanish in one year than were translated into Arabic over the last thousand years. Right. That was really, yeah, that was, it was a UN. That's rep- incredible. Yeah. So, and the, it was, I think it was only like 5% of the internet was in Arabic. Um, they moved Arabic up from, you know, up a few slots. They did like a 10% increase. They've been doing all this amazing kind of work. And to me, that's, you know, they are, and if you, you know, the, I, the, they put out their uh, annual statement recently and like all the engagements they've had, how many articles were clicked on, what was read, and, you know, it's things in the millions. So you see a, a wanting for knowledge there. Mm. And, you know, uh, one of the things I was trying to, and it, obviously I can talk to him about translating stuff and it's like, you know, it's easy for me to say, go translate this. You know, it's a lot harder to do, right? But, yep. you know, I was talking to him about things like, you know, we always talk about Western values. You know, people talk about Western values and I'm like, you know, and secularism in the Middle East has a bad name because of people like Assad and Gaddafi and, you know, Mubarak and yeah, all of them who were touted as secularists, however, yep. you know, you want to say about their religion and secularism has a really bad name, but, if you can go back to them and show that, okay, these are values that are practiced in the West, but follow the chain. You know, there were thinkers in, you know, what's called the golden age of Islam who taught this stuff, who talked about yeah. it. Maybe not as, you know, there wasn't a as absolute a right of free speech as you had of the alignment, but the ideas were there. Yeah. And these are, they're banned to the people in the Middle East. The ones that are kept around are the ones like Al-Ghazali or Ibn Hasham, the ones who were really strict, right? And so if you can show them, like, especially like a place like Iran now where the, the, the citizenry is already fed up with the religion. And you can say, you know what, these are, you know, Persians that talked about what are called Western values now. You know, they're, they're not just Western. The West got them partially from, you know, the caliphate. And, you know, the Muslims took it from the Greeks. This is thought that's been yeah, around for yeah, years. Yeah. And so pushing that kind of thinking. So... It gives people an out saying, look, no, we have discussed this before. We have talked about these things. And it just showed them that, you know, you were denied this. Like, you were denied your own history. Which mm-hmm. I think is one of the the worst thing, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the the, the Arabization or taking over yeah. cultures. I think it's one, one of the worst things Islam, and I mean, it's not just Islam, there's other, but it's one of the worst things Islam has done. It's wipe out other people's histories. And wipe out the histories of their own people. Like, stopping the, their pe- own people from learning what was discussed in their countries by their thinkers from the past, right? I mean, you have that push going on here, oh, we should decolonize education and stop teaching the classics because it's old white men, whatever. They're doing it to themselves. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing you said was actually very interesting, like even within the Muslim uh, conversation or the Muslim academia, certain thinkers, like you said, Al-Ghazali and whatnot, will be pushed over other thinkers like Ibn Rushd or the more rationalist or the more sort of uh, secular or of course the word secular is like a modern way of saying it but I'm sure there were equivalent secularists or equivalent rationalists uh, in the Muslim history which are not spoken about because their views uh, are not the, uh, you know do not serve the Muslim uh, clerical elite or whatever you want to call them the, the Maulvis the sheikhs they don't serve them in fact if these guys read Ibn Rushd or the other philosophers and scientists of the Muslim era, they would call them kafir. They would say, these guys are heretics. These guys um, 
are not real Muslims. They're something else and whatever it is. But these these very people are the people that created your Islamic golden age. This is the real irony here. The people that made all the scientific, the scientific discoveries and the mathematicians and X, Y, and Z, they probably weren't that religious or they probably didn't really care. Um weren't interested in creating an Islamic state and X, Y, and Z and blah, 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 blah. But of course, you know, there's the same way, you know, a lot of the Enlightenment thinkers or European scientists were Christian, but they were sort of nominally Christian or whatever it was, but they were scientists uh, first and foremost. They were thinkers first and foremost. So there are many examples in the Muslim world of those types of thinkers who are not given the same limelight because their views are a bit uncomfortable. And they, if you were to actually listen to what they say, then you would have to start questioning your Maulvis. You have to start questioning your sheikhs. And they don't want that. So they'll promote Ghazali, talk about spirituality and zikr and whatnot. Um, but they won't talk about Ibn Rushd. So there you go. Okay, one thing about Ghazali that always strikes me as funny is all these people, especially a lot of like very literalist and fundamentalist <clears throat> types who talk about Ghazali so glowingly, yep. yet will be disparaging on Sufis. It's like, you do realize Ghazali was a Sufi, right? Like, exactly. I, I always bring it up. Yeah, and, yeah. I mean, yeah. he was—he was given that honorific, the the what is it, the proof of Islam, Hujjat al-Islam. Yeah, and it's Hujjat I mean, al-Islam. Yeah, I mean, so I—I I, I know it's like I, maybe you can say it's a one-off or whatever, but whenever they like these people who are praising Al Ghazali, and then in the, the next breath they're they're condemning Sufis, I just yeah. like to poke a little bit of fun at them. Um, getting back to that though, the the you know, the wiping out of their own history, the wiping out of their own culture, like, <clears throat> and this is something I've done for a little bit, and I'm going to continue doing it. I call them out as cowards. Because mm. all, all they're showing, like, I, I mean, uh, I think it was Al-Qaradawi who said it, you know, it was a bit 2013. He said, like, if it wasn't for the apostasy laws, there'd be no Muslims yeah. left, right? Yeah. It's the yeah. same thing with the blasphemy laws. That's what's keeping it. And it's, I mean, it, it is such a sign of cowardice. 100%. You know, why did ISIS blow up those ruins at Palmyra? Like, how, you know, why did Al-Qaeda destroy those Buddhas? Why were they, I mean, they were, they were ransacking the museum, some of it to sell stuff. But, I mean... Are you that afraid of thousand-year-old statues that a thousand-year-old statue is going to veer people away from Islam that you have to blow it up? Like, did have the, you know have has ISIS created nasheeds about the guys who went and blew up the statues at Palmyra? Like, no, but I mean, come on, like, like, like how afraid are you of a thousand-year-old statue that this just looking at it or a thousand-year-old ruin is going to, if that alone can take someone away from Islam, then you're then what is Islam? Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, what is it? You know, it's it's it, to me it's it's like right now. It's, sorry, uh, go it's, ahead. It's the the level of insecurity in these people is unbelievable. Seriously, um, it's just crazy. I mean, this is what I don't understand. If you are upon the huck, you are upon the truth, and Allah has your back on the day of judgment. You know, He's going to right every wrong, and you have faith, and you have iman, and you have all these things. Why on earth are you so terrified? Why are you so insecure? And cowardly when it comes to criticism or different religions or someone making a joke, someone drawing a cartoon. Why are you scared, bro? Yeah. You are you're, you're you're on the truth. Do you get what I'm saying? Like Allah's got your back. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things in Islam that I find like that. And um, okay, let's the hijab. The hijab, you know, hide the woman's hair so she doesn't cause lust in men. All this. I'm just thinking to myself. Okay, so Allah has prohibited premarital sex, right? Unless it's your sex slave, whatever. Let's just not even go into the little details. But so, if that's a commandment from your God, how weak is your faith that a woman's hair is going to make you lust after her so much you forget everything your God has taught you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. Like, there's yeah. so much. I mean, and it, it is. There's stuff like that in other religions as well. But you know, we're talking about Islam, so let's you know focus on that. And it's, I, you're admitting it to yourself that you're admitting to all your followers you're admitting that you know you're too weak to follow God's commands or God's commands aren't enough for you just to follow them like it's you know like you need a piece of cloth to help protect yeah. you from yeah. you know, the lust of and then when they put it it's on pathetic. it really is pathetic yeah. honestly. and then when they put it on young children I mean that's you know it's like yeah, okay you're putting it on a three year old because she's going to incite lust in a, in a man it's crazy you know like just I don't even want to get into that because it's just a little yeah exactly but it's, it's terrible it, it really is um, but yeah the, but, I mean, you know the, 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 the hypocrisy I just found like just like talking about how great Islam is and then just running scared from the slightest little thing that attacks it this is what I'm saying to you if, if they were really really secure in their faith if they were 
uh, people who are you know who who are of solid resolve, they would be the first people uh, saying, you know what, let the cartoonists draw what they want, mm-hmm. let the scientists say what they want to say, right? Because we know we're right, mm-hmm. or we have confidence and in our beliefs that we can take it. These are, the, but they're the first people to scream and shout and cry. Oh my God, this person said this to me, and he made a joke about the prophet, and now I have to attack him or threaten him or ban him or whatever it is. These people are the most fragile in their beliefs, not the most solid. Despite what the Quran says, despite what they say, oh, I have absolute belief in Islam. No, you don't, because if you did, you wouldn't need a cloth and you wouldn't need to ban someone or kill someone if they, if they drew a cartoon. Yeah, and I so, mean, it, 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 it's also ridiculous. Like I, my, you know. This is to show you how strong my belief in my faith is. I'm willing to kill you for making a joke. It's like no, no, no it's pathetic. It's yeah, pathetic. Yeah. It's yeah, I know it's uh, it's a little much. Um, it's just true, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to take too much more of your time. Thank you very much. I mean, like this is, this is great. Uh, I'd love to. It's an absolute pleasure, man. Honestly, uh, I'd, I'd love to get you back on and we could talk some more. You know, maybe. Yep, absolutely. Maybe you can convince Mimsy to come on. And you know, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you're, you're the ex-Muslim power comedy couple. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's funny. I, I had no idea my life would turn out this way. That uh, you know, ex-Muslim power, whatever. It's funny because when I was Muslim, I never thought I would leave Islam. Honestly, I never thought I would leave Islam. I thought, why on earth would you leave Islam, bro? I was lucky enough to be born in a Muslim household. People are converting to Islam, and I'm going to leave it. You must be crazy. Um, but here we are. <laughs> what can I say? So, where can people find you? Uh, so, I mean, you can literally type me in YouTube, in, in Twitter, on Instagram, VidUvids, uh, basically anywhere, basically, you will find me. Um, I've also got a new podcast of my, of, of my own coming out, uh, hopefully on, on iTunes and whatnot. Uh, it's called The Mind of Vidu. Um, so we'll just dive deep into that place and let's see what happens. Whatever happens, the mind of you do stays the mind of you. Yeah, I think we Except all... on podcasts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think we so, should all be afraid uh, of that. But... Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, you can basically find me YouTube, like all the, all, all the social media, Vidu Vids, you will find me. And uh, I, I, I've honestly thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Uh, it, it really, really enjoyed it. I, I think we actually, we actually covered a lot. Yeah. Uh, uh, so it's been really fun. So oh, thank you I very much. Oh, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. And please like, subscribe, hit the little bell, and I'll be back. Thank you. <laughs>